welcome back to another episode of the Before the Court podcast. I'm Brittany and co-hosting with me today is Beth. In this episode, we interview Bonnie Phillips. Bonnie is a principal lawyer at Coulter Legal and head of the family and relationship law team. Bonnie shares her experience as a lawyer to date. She talks to us about the practice of family law and she also gives us an insight into her leadership role at Coulter Legal. We really enjoyed speaking with Bonnie and we're sure that you'll enjoy listening to her experiences and advice. Bonnie, welcome to the Before the Court podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Could you please start off by telling us a bit about yourself? Thanks, Brittany. It's so lovely to be here. So I'm a lawyer. I've been practicing for about 10 years now, just over 10 years. Um, And I'm a principal lawyer and the head of the family and relationship department at Coulter Legal. Um, And I work both across our Melbourne and Geelong offices. And I'm also an accredited family law specialist as well. Thank you. So firstly, could you please tell us about your university experience? Yeah, thanks, Beth. So I graduated from Deakin in 2010. Um, I was there for the five years. I was doing um, arts law at the time and I was at the Burwood campus, um, which was close to where I lived, which was handy. Um, And I didn't necessarily know I wanted to be a lawyer um, before I went to law school. Um, It was something that my enter score allowed me to do. Um, and I really loved the experience. I got involved in a lot of the practical assessments as well, like client interviews, mediations, etc. cetera. Um, and that's what I found was really useful for Deakin was getting involved in that practical side of it, um, in addition, obviously, to the coursework, which we all have to do. Um, and so it was, a really, it was a really nice experience for me, a bit daunting at the start, um, but, but got through it and, and came out the other end and, and off I went into my career. So you just touched on the extracurricular activities that you did do, but um, was there anything else that you believe prepared you well for your career as a lawyer while you were at law school? One of the big things that I did was the Viz Moot. Um, So I did that in my penultimate year. um, And that was where there was a team of us from Deakin who then went across to Hong Kong and Vienna. Um, and, you know, did our mooting competition over there. So that was a really, really wonderful experience, um, something very different to what you do day to day at law school. Um, and it was great to be able to work with a team of other people. There was a few of us involved um, to prepare the submissions before we went off to the moot, you know, think about the issues, think about how, how we would draft everything together um, and then actually put our advocacy skills into practice. Um, particularly for me in the area of family and relationship law, we need good advocacy skills. Um, you need to be confident to be able to, you know, get up in court, make submissions, um, obviously deal with clients and things like that as well. And, and, you know, you're opposing lawyer. So I think that was really useful for me to hone those skills and get a bit more confident with that. Um, again, it was quite nerve wracking going overseas and participating in a moot against other teams from all around the world, but really invaluable. You know, you got to meet some great connections, people who I still am connected with on LinkedIn and things like that as well overseas. So certainly getting involved in things like a mooting competition, whether it's overseas or here um, where you're attending uni, I think is a really great opportunity. Um, And I think as well, getting involved in those more practical elements of the studies, Um, you know, going through the bookwork is very important, obviously, but testing out your negotiation skills, your mediation skills, letter drafting, even doing things like a basic file note, um, I think is really important to learn how to do. Um, You'd rather that experience in law school than learning for the first time on the job and sort of 
you know, maybe being a bit of a deer in headlights. So I think the more practice you can get at those practical skills through law school, um, the better. And so you touched on a, a little bit of advice while you were talking about extracurricular activities, but would you have any further advice for current students about how to best approach their studies? And is there anything that you wish that you knew while you were a law student? I think for me, when I first started law school, as I said, it wasn't something I'd necessarily thought I would do through high school. Um, so it was quite daunting in those first few lectures and coming up to those first few assessments in learning how to study well in law school. It's quite different to the way you might study um, through high school, for example. Um, and one of the things that I found really, really useful, um, you know, as I sort of progressed through my studies was to have a study group. Um, so I connected with a couple of other students. I think there was maybe two or three others. And we would get together and, you know, look at the course guide, go through um, questions we had and thrash out issues um, you know, to really help us all support each other through those studies. And I found that to be invaluable, um, even just to be able to pick up the phone to one of your colleagues and just sort of say, oh, gosh, you know, what do you think about this? Or how are you approaching this case, for example? Or did you get the same takeaways from it that I did? Um, so I think definitely having a good study group is key. Um, and also perhaps a good mentor. If there's someone in your life, whether it's um, a student who's in a higher um, level than you or family member, friend, someone who might be a lawyer already, having someone um, in, you know, in your corner to assist you through that process and just be that good mentor for you, I think is really important. Um, and otherwise, just taking on some of those opportunities. I think, as I mentioned earlier, doing the moot, doing those more practical skill-based tasks um, was very useful for me in approaching my studies and I think then later on in my career as well. I think there will probably be a lot of students who would be able to relate to what you were saying about not necessarily knowing that being a lawyer is what you wanted to do while you're in high school. I know for me personally, that was the case as well. And so when you do begin, it is very daunting. So I think that that's great advice for especially younger students who are finding their feet. Yeah, and push on, you know. It might be tricky at the start, but you will get the hang of it. Um, and I think it's important to really throw yourself in and give it, give it everything you can so you don't look back and sort of wonder what may have been. Um, people may always have career changes down the track, but I think it's definitely worth something to pursue if you can. And since graduating university, you've worked as a family lawyer. So could you please tell us a bit about your career to date and some of the roles that you've held as well? Sure. So initially out of law school, I went to a firm that practiced across a number of different areas. So as a graduate lawyer, um, I worked across family law, commercial, wills and estates, workplace um, and litigation. And that was really great because I got to really understand different types of areas of law. And again, coming out of law school, sort of similar to when I came out of high school, I didn't know that I wanted to do family law. That wasn't necessarily something I thought I would definitely pursue. Um, in fact, tax law was my favourite and best subject at uni, and I'd imagined I would have a career as a tax lawyer. Um, so I think going through those initial rotations as a graduate through various different areas of law was great because it really allowed me to find out what I was interested in. Um, and funnily enough, that was family law. Um, and I think what I loved about that initially was it brings in a lot of other areas of the law for me. It brought in tax law. Um, there was litigation involved. There could be some criminal aspects involved. There's issues of family violence and so on. So for me, I almost immediately fell in love with family law, um, but obviously still did the other rotations through the other departments. Um, and that was very useful because you then sort of know what matters you can refer out um, and you know what other skill sets other lawyers have. So I think that was really great to be able to do. 
So from that firm where I did my graduate rotation, um, I discovered that I loved family law. And I then moved from that firm to a boutique family law firm um, to really, again, hone my skills in family law. Um, and I was thrown in the deep end, which, again, I really loved. Um, I obviously didn't go to a big commercial firm um, where it can sometimes be a little bit of a cog in a, a large wheel. Um, the boutique family law firm that I went to enabled me to have some, again, really interactive, practical experiences with dealing with clients, um, going down to court, maybe doing some very basic appearance work at that stage. Um, and so, again, I really found that that was definitely my passion. It's where I wanted to stay. Um, and then from there, over the last sort of 10 or so years, I have moved a couple of times through different firms and ultimately I've landed at Coulter Legal. Um, and one of the reasons that I've chosen that place to land is really because of the culture of the firm, you know, the team and the people that we have there um, and the types of work, you know, that we get involved in. It's quite varied what we do in family law. Um, and, yeah, I'm really enjoying where I am. So that's a bit about my career progress to date. So we note that your current role at Coulter Legal is Principal Lawyer, Accredited Specialist and Head of Family and Relationship Law. Could you please tell us about your work and what a typical work day looks like for you? Yeah, so my role is a little bit varied. So I don't just do legal work anymore. Um, but for me in the Head of Department role, that's an aspect of the job that I really love, um, looking after the team, helping with managing people and also the broader management of the firm. So sort of breaking down my role. Um, yes, I am an accredited family law specialist, um, which means that I've gone through the process with the Law Institute of Victoria to gain that accreditation. Um, so I do get involved in the more technical aspects of family law, so perhaps larger um, complicated property disputes, um, parenting issues which may involve, you know, multiple parties such as grandparents or an international issue, for example. Um, but when I do my file work, we'll work as a team. So I will often have another lawyer working with me on our files um, and I'll be mentoring and supervising that lawyer. So that's the way we sort of work in our team generally, having two people allocated to a file um, with a more senior lawyer and then a more junior lawyer on each file. And I think that really helps with the development of the um, more junior lawyers who are coming through, the mentoring of them, and they get to see that really great experience um, in what we do every day. Um, then in my role as principal lawyer and head of the department, um, I also sit on the leadership team at Coulter Legal. And that's where we, you know, thrash out issues and, and make decisions for the, the firm generally, as well as each of the departments. So really at the moment, my day is kind of split half, half, half um, into that more leadership role of managing the team, looking after everyone, um, and then the client facing work as well and bringing in and generating that work for our team. So you have just touched on it a little bit, but we did just want to ask what is specifically involved in your leadership role, um, as well as how you manage your responsibilities across this role. Sure. So in our team, um, in our family and relationship law department, we've got about 22 people. Um, that consists of both um, the lawyers and also our support staff as well, and also some clerks and graduates. So a big part of my job is making sure really everyone's okay. You know, everyone's got enough work to do. Um, they're happy coming to work. They feel supported in their work. Um, and it's looking out for um, making sure that they've got any flexibility that they may need. That's something that's really important to us um, and that they're, you know, satisfied in their day-to-day -day job. Um, in addition to that, I will be managing the financial performance of the team, so making sure that the work's being allocated correctly, people are at capacity, they're not sitting there twiddling their thumbs, 
um, and bringing in and delegating that work amongst the team again so everyone has a variety of work to to do um, and it's also about looking at the different specialties within our own team so some people in our team really really enjoy complex property work for family law matters others really love maybe more child protection based work or family violence based work so it's allocating that work amongst the appropriate people within the team um, and making sure that the job's getting done by the best person for it. And then in terms of, as I said, the more leadership role. So our leadership team at Culture Legal um, has six women and five men at the moment, which is quite unusual in many ways. Um, it can often be the reverse. Um, and that's one of, the, one of the reasons I love being part of it is it is a nice representation of both men and women in leadership positions. Um, and as I said, we're really making those decisions for the firm generally um, to make sure everything's running as well as it possibly can. It's quite interesting to hear about a legal leadership role because I think, um, you know, your mind goes straight to legal work just consisting of the work on the files and work with clients. So it's been really interesting to hear about the variation with, between your roles when you're managing the team as well as doing the legal work. Yeah, and it is, it's an interesting part of the job and something that I really love. Um, as much as I do love looking after our clients and running the files, looking after people is so important to me and having that mentoring role. Um, and it's something that I've loved for a number of years, I think particularly because throughout my career, I've always had a great mentor to, you know, to fall back on and to ask questions of, and I know how beneficial that is. Um, and I've seen some experiences where, you know, junior lawyers may not have had a positive experience at a firm. Um, and that's something that I really want to create for our team is that people do have a positive experience and, and feel supported. And we touched a little bit before about um, your specialisation in family law. Um, could you please tell us a little bit about the process to become an accredited specialist and also how this has assisted you in your legal career? Yeah, so to become an accredited specialist, um, there's a variety of areas you can do that in, um, and that's done via the Law Institute of Victoria or the relevant institute, depending on what state you're in. Um, and usually you have to have been practising in your area of, for at least five years. Um, so once I've been practising in family law for five years, I felt that I was at the level that I, I should be to apply for the accreditation. Um, and you basically apply, you pay a fee. Um, sometimes that may be supported or paid for by your firm. And then it's effectively from the family law experience of the accreditation I had. I can't talk for other areas of accreditation. Um, it's effectively self-study. Um, so you get a large reading guide with a number of different sections of the Act, case law and so on, um, and you work through that independently to effectively prepare your notes and prepare for the assessments. Um, and again, as I mentioned through law school, I had a really, really great study group. Um, there was five of us who did the accreditation together and really how we worked was at least sort of once a week or once a fortnight, we would get together after doing part of the reading guide and again, talk through, you know, did we think the same outcome for a case or did we have questions around a particular section of the act or how it applied? Um, so having that study group was again, really valuable, um, particularly because I think the accreditation process can be quite overwhelming and daunting. It's a huge amount of work to do whilst most people are also working full time, perhaps have children and families. So it was really nice to have that um, support from other professionals and other colleagues. You know, if you had to pick up the phone and say, oh, my gosh, this is, this is a lot, you know, we could all sort of vent and, and go through it together. Um, so you do your study. Um, I sort of studied for about at least six months um, on that reading guide. 
And for me, that was getting up at sort of 5am, doing a bit of study before work, um, working on it again over the weekends. And then I had three different forms of assessment. So I had a mock file that we had to prepare and submit. Um, and that consisted of effectively a letter of advice and preparing some court documents. We then had to do um, a written exam. Um, so that was based upon all areas of family law, really, and, and primarily property settlements and parenting issues. And then we had to do um, a client interview. So go in, meet with a pretend client. Um, it was about half an hour. And then you'd be videoed and that assessment would be reviewed. Um, and at the end of that, it's just a pass or fail. You don't get a, a mark as such. Um, you don't necessarily know how you went in each of the assessments. Um, but when you find out you've passed, it's a huge relief um, because it is, as I said, very, very challenging. Um, so that's the process. And for me in my career, I think it really gave me a lot more confidence at that sort of five-year mark going forward that, you know, I had a good legal, um, good legal knowledge, a good grounding, even if there were still some aspects of family law I knew better than others, I knew where to look, I knew what research to do, I knew what sections of the Act I needed to delve into a bit further or what cases applied. Um, and I think it really does boost your confidence. And it was around that time of five years that I was promoted to a senior associate role. And so I think it was a nice way to make me feel much more settled in that role and that I was doing a good job having the backing of that accreditation. So it's something I certainly encourage lawyers to do if they're feeling ready for it and they've got the capacity to do it. Um, but I think it's something you do really need the support of a study group and also your you know, family, friends and also um, your firm to do. Um, for me, I had some leave before I did the exam. So being able to build that into your work arrangements, I think is really key as well. When you were talking about getting up at 5am and studying before work, did that take you back to your uni days, balancing study with your job and things like that? Yes, yes, it definitely did. And it was very much a, a transition having to get back into study mode. Um, it's obviously not something I'd done for about five or six years after I left law school. Um, for me, I'm not great late at night. So I was in, it was important for me to be studying earlier in the morning. Others may have gotten up at a usual time and studied well into the evening. So I think with any kind of study, it's about finding out what works for you and your routine and how you sleep and all of those sorts of things. Um, but for me, it was getting up at the crack of dawn and, and doing it that way. That's exactly what I do at the moment, actually, <laughs> working four to five days a week. And Beth, similar. Yeah, as soon as you said it, it made me think of what we're doing now. So Yeah, and Brittany gets up early and I stay up late. Yeah, we're opposite. <laughs> we're opposite, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we also know that you've held various volunteer roles throughout your career. Um, and one of them was being with Victorian Women's Lawyers. So could you please tell us a bit about this organisation and what it does um, and a little bit about the work that you've done? So a bit before the Victorian Women Lawyers or the VWL, um, through the first few years of practising, um, I actually volunteered at Women's Legal Service Victoria. Um, so what I would do there is once a fortnight on a Thursday night um, after work, I'd go off to Women's Legal Service and volunteer on their phone lines. So that was basically giving some critical and urgent advice to um, usually kind of victims of family violence or urgent situations where they may have recently left um, a relationship or fled a property or things like that. Um, and I really love that. And something I'd really encourage is some kind of volunteering along those lines um, because it really gave me an opportunity earlier, early on to test out my skills of engaging with a client 
identifying key issues for them and pointing them in the direction of some advice and assistance that may be able to help them. So the role on the phone lines wasn't necessary to solve all of their problems and give them comprehensive advice. It was more that triage advice that we would give them to sort of help them on their way and refer them off to the relevant um, support networks. So that was the first thing I did, and I did that for a number of years. Um, and again, whilst, yes, it was an extracurricular activity and it was, you know, late at night, it was really rewarding to do. And it also enabled me to really meet some other great lawyers out there and start to build up those connections. Um, so then I also became a member of the Victorian Women Lawyers, and they are basically the peak representative body for women in the law across Victoria. Um, they also represent law students as well. Um, and, you know, barristers can also um, be members. And it's a really wonderful organisation. Um, there's, you know, a small membership fee to pay, but it's otherwise not for profit. Um, and they run a series of really wonderful initiatives, events and projects and publications to support women in the law. Um, so when I started with them, I initially started on their networking committee um, to run, you know, those types of networking events for people to get together and um, perhaps hear from a panel um, and otherwise, you know, get to know each other and test out their marketing and networking skills. And from there, I moved from being on the committee to the co-chair of the committee um, and then from there onto the executive committee. And I sat on that committee for a few years. Um, I did step down whilst I did my accreditation um, because it was all too much to do at the one time. And I do make, I do want, you know, people out there to understand you can't do everything at once. Um, so I took that small break from VWL whilst I did the accreditation and then came back on um, after I'd finished that process. And again, that was um, meeting with the committee or the executive sort of at least once or twice a month, um, putting those events and projects together um, and doing media releases and things like that if there was a particularly interesting issue in the news or a case that came out. Um, and it's, a, it's an organisation that Culture Legal continues to um, support now. So last night, for example, um, I assisted with one of their events on helping lawyers seek pay rises and promotions. Um, so also really giving people that practical advice about how to negotiate for yourself or seek that promotion, all those sorts of skills um, are something the VWL looks at as well. So could you please tell us about the practical process of a family law matter? And if the matters vary widely or if there's a similar process that is followed when working on matters? Sure. So it's a very big question. We could be here for 10 hours. Um, but basically, I'll start with the sorts of work that we do in family law. So most people, when they think of family law, will think of property settlements and a parenting dispute, who the children live with. We do all of that. Um, but in addition, we deal with uh, issues of family violence and seeking intervention orders. We have a lawyer in our team who deals with child protection work, so in the children's court, given there's um, often an overlap between the children's court and the family court. Uh, we deal with bankruptcy issues coming up in family law matters and how that um, plays out in the court as well. Lots of international issues, so whether it's a child abduction case or parties have property overseas, um, and also relocation matters. So matters where, for example, a party wants to relocate with their child a number of hours away or interstate or overseas. Um, so it is quite broad what we do. Um, and we also have lawyers in our team who specialise in surrogacy and donor agreement work as well. So family law for us is very, very broad. And as I mentioned earlier, we try and delegate the work in our team to those people who have that relevant expertise and experience in those different types of work. So 
When a client comes in to us, um, we offer them a free initial consultation. So we sit down with them for about half an hour or so um, with a senior and a junior lawyer, basically to get to know them and for them to get to know us. I think that's a really important part of family law is not just regurgitating the law to a client, but actually having that empathy, listening to why they're there, hearing their story, and really making sure they, they feel that they can trust and rely upon you as their lawyer. So we have that initial consultation, um, you know, find out what's happening for the client, find out what the issues are, give them some of that initial advice and guidance as to next steps. Um, and then if they're happy to engage us, we'll obviously go on from there, open a file, um, send out a cost agreement and so on and start work. And really one of the reasons I love family law is that no family law matter is the same. Um, they may have similar issues and similar processes, but you're dealing with different people every day, different children involved in the cases, lots of different organisations, whether it's um, the Department of Human Services, the police, um, the ATO, there's lots of different organisations. So I love that no day can I sit down at my desk and think, oh, it's going to be exactly like the last. It's always very varied. So that's sort of a general process of how we run a matter. For us from there, we always like to make sure we try and resolve the case for the parties without having to go off to court if we can. Um, so we will often do a lot of um, you know, negotiation through solicitors, attending a mediation, perhaps doing a roundtable conference with the other side and their lawyers. But obviously, if we get to a point where really the parties can't agree or there's a really urgent issue that comes up, such as as I said, a family violence issue, an abduction, someone's being cut off financially, we may then look to have to issue court proceedings at that stage. Um, and again, I think that's something, you know, a lot of us enjoy about this work is you don't just do your, your file work behind the scenes, you also get to go out and do the appearance work as well. And it's at that point, if we need to, we'll also engage a barrister. So we try and get barristers involved relatively early in the case if we have to go to court. Um, because then they can also have the consistency of the matter rolling through with the client. So that's kind of a very, very general approach. Um, in terms of specifics of a matter, um, when we're looking at a property case, we typically go through sort of a four-step approach when trying to resolve that for the client. And really it's about understanding what their asset pool is, what are their, you know, property, car, shares, cash savings, super, what liabilities do they have, getting some financial disclosure and valuations at that stage, looking at their respective contributions, both financially and non-financially to that asset pool. How did they arrive there? What tasks did they do during the relationship? Did they get inheritances and so on? Um, looking at their future needs. So do they have children? Who's caring for them? How old are they both? Can they work? What's their income? And then what's going to be a just and equitable settlement between the two of them? Um, and sometimes parties can get very stuck on that initial step of what everything's worth and there's a lot of distrust. Um, but once you've gotten through that and, and worked through those factors, hopefully, um, and if you've got a sensible opponent, you should be able to sort it out for the clients. But if not, there's obviously the, the court there for you. And then with our parenting matters, um, again, very, very case specific, depending on what's happening for those children in the case. But primarily what we're looking at and what the court factors in is what the overriding children's best interests are um, and making sure whatever orders are made are going to be best for those children. So looking at factors as to whether or not, for example, they might be at any risk of harm, but also factoring that against their, you know, ability to have a meaningful relationship with both parents. 
Um, and those cases are quite interesting because we do get a number of experts involved if we need to. So, for example, a family report writer to come in and do an assessment of the family, give some recommendations um, to the court during that process. We might get psych assessments, we might get drug testing, lots of those things come into play as well. So I think as a family lawyer, one of the really important things is to be able to find the issues, you know, just like we're doing a, in a law exam, finding out what those issues are and then applying to the law to them is very key. Um, there's not, you don't want to miss those issues and then look back later and think, oh gosh, you know, I didn't realise there was an extra family trust I should have factored in or, oh, I should have looked into that issue of the substance abuse earlier. So I think being able to pinpoint those things early on is really important. So our final question, Bonnie, is what do you do to maintain a work-life balance and what are some of your hobbies outside of the law? So this is really, really important, um, I think, in any area of law, but particularly in um, family law and relationship law, I think it's very critical to have a work-life balance um, because the subject matter of what we're dealing with every day can be quite intense. It can be quite traumatic at times. Um, and you're seeing and hearing things you probably wouldn't otherwise necessarily um, be exposed to in your day-to-day -day life, um, particularly when I mentioned those issues of, you know, family violence, child protection and, and so on. So I think having a work-life balance is critical. Um, also, just because we do work really hard as lawyers and we often do long hours, um, it's intense work. So I think being able to strike that balance is key. Um, and one of the biggest things I try and do is really switch off at the end of the day. Um, so even in my role as the head of the department, yes, I've always got access to my phone if something serious happened, um, but I try not to be checking emails too much after work hours. Um, I turn off my computer if I'm working at, from home and move away from that room. Um, I don't sort of have it sitting on in the corner and I keep checking it or anything like that. Um, and I think that is really important to set those boundaries. Um, so once you've turned off for the day, really try and then not go back and, and keep checking things or answering emails or phone calls. Um, I'm very much of the view that unless something is life or death um, or something where there's, you know, a child being flown out of the country after hours or on a weekend, for example, um, you shouldn't need to be doing work once you've logged off. Not much can happen after business hours. Chances are the lawyer on the other side's already gone home. The court's probably closed. Um, so really setting that expectation in yourself that that's what you're going to do and perhaps communicating that to others. So with your team, if you're working with other lawyers or with your family members or friends, putting it out there that I'm going to finish at 5.30, 6 o'clock, whatever time it is, um, and really then move on with my personal life. Um, so as I said, the way I do that is by turning off my computer, moving rooms, not looking at my phone too much, not responding to things if they can wait until the next day. Um, and also then trying to do things that I enjoy. I think um, if you have something to go to after work, whether it's a dinner with friends, um, a Pilates class, you've signed up to go for a walk with a friend, um, having those things set up helps you do it um, and I think keeps you a bit more accountable. So I'll try and go to some Pilates classes during the week. Sometimes I might even try to go to those at lunchtime, for example, if I know that I may have a later night for some reason. Um, and just really trying to keep that up and, and keep yourself accountable to them. 
Um, I also have some dogs, so I enjoy, you know, playing with them, taking them out for a walk. They're two little chihuahuas. Um, so I think, you know, having those sorts of things is really important and making sure you've got that quality time with family and friends. I think particularly working from home, um, and I know a lot of people are still doing that, can be quite isolating. Um, I think having that social context and the ability to get out there and really separate yourself from your work is really important. Um, and I think recognising any signs of burnout. Um, I think it does happen a lot in our profession. Um, I think particularly with our younger lawyers as well, wanting to you know, work really hard and make a great impression. Um, I don't like to see our lawyers burning out. Um, and I think it's important we communicate that to each other. Um, you know, often personal leave is not just for being sick physically, it's also for your mental health. Um, and keeping that in mind, I think, is really important. So putting your hand up if you're starting to feel burnt out or overwhelmed, asking for that help and support. I know a lot of firms out there have an EAP service, so you can go and get confidential um, counselling support if needed. Um, and I think no one should be ashamed of that um, it's really important in the job that we do that we look after our mental health. So putting your hand up and asking for that support or taking those steps is, is really important. Um, also finding ways to factor in some exercise or, um, you know, something active into your routine. Um, before I worked in our Geelong office, I would usually cycle to work um, there and back, which was, again, a really nice um, opportunity not to have access to my phone. You know, I was focused on riding my bike um, looking after myself on the road out there. So perhaps finding a way you could walk to work or walk part of the way, cycle, do something a bit different throughout your day um, to get moving and, and get a bit active. Thank you for sharing that. I think that it's important, even though we're still at law school, to hear things like that before you start in the profession um, and just to keep that in the back of your mind, especially as you start to establish your work routine and, and those sort of things. And, and you can start it now. I mean, studying in itself can be very full on. Um, you can burn out doing that as well. Um, and I remember when I was studying, um, even back then, I would make sure I was putting a run into my routine during the day. If I could get out for a run in the morning or after a few hours of study, um, that was really important to me. And I would sort of have my study timetable set up. So I knew, okay, okay I'll work really hard between 4 and 6 p.m., and then I'll go out and have a nice, you know, nice time with my friends. So I think putting those behaviours in place now will set you up really well for then once you're in, in the profession. And I think being really mindful of where you go. Um, there's lots of different firms out there, um, lots of different offerings in terms of flexibility, work-life balance, um, and really I think balancing that against your pay expectations as well and what's important to you. I mean, some people might go out and think, okay, I want to try and get the highest salary I possibly can, um, but look at what other ramifications that may have. You may have longer billable hour, hour targets. Um, you might be expected to work very late into the evenings. Um, so I think balance those expectations against your flexibility, your work-life balance um, and other options that might be available to you um, when selecting a firm to work at. Thank you, Bonnie, and thank you for joining us today and for sharing um, about practice and family law and also your advice. We're looking forward to sharing this podcast with students. Thanks so much, Brittany and Beth. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.